You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode 39 of Fantasy Filmball. My name is Dill. And my name is Matt, and this is a show where we turn movies into sports and sports into something we don't talk about here. Today, we are finally going to be diving into our final Oscar predictions. This is it. This is the end. It's been a long road, and here we are, just a few days away from the Academy Awards, which is so, so exciting. How are you feeling going into this week, Dylan? Because I know I am pumped. Yeah, I'm really excited. I don't have to work during the ceremony, so I will be able to actually watch it, which will be a lot of fun because I missed some of the precursors this year because I've had to work. So that would be cool. But I'm a little nervous just because there's so many categories up in the air, but that also makes it so much more interesting compared to last year. I think there's always categories up in the air, and there's always things that we can trick ourselves into or out of. And that's my biggest issue right now is I'm looking at all of these categories and going, am I overthinking this? Because I know last year there was a lot of categories that I tricked myself into thinking that they'd do something different, do something unique, and then they just did what was expected. So hopefully we can figure that out this year. We can maybe not make that mistake uh, as, as often as I did last year. But of course, we always start off with a question. And the question of this week is, let's talk next year. We are a year away from next year's Oscars, what is the wild card prediction that you have for next year? I mean, we've had this conversation numerous times over the podcast this season, but big name directors and their films coming back for their next time out. And we saw this year in the best director field, we had James Cameron, we had Steven Spielberg, we had some other big names, and only really Spielberg got into that director slot. So for next year, Kills of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese, Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan, Dune 2, Denis Villeneuve. I think only one of them gets into director. Which one? I'm not entirely for sure at this moment, but I don't see all three getting in with that spectacle big name director slot. Because as we saw this year, we had two very small scale, kind of more writery movies that got in even with their direction. Then we had like a critic sweeper. We had the Daniels who seemed to be winning everything. And then we had Spielberg. So to me, I don't know who the five are going to be at this moment. Obviously we're still a whole year out, but I don't see all three of them making it into director. If it's those three and you're saying only one gets director, the only one that I would see getting director is Scorsese. I would lean that way as well at this moment. However, if Oppenheimer, I I know this is a, a weird take, but if Oppenheimer does like premiere at a festival in competition, I could see this being like, Hey, Nolan's like, take me serious. The studio backs him as their only real push for that year because Universal, to my knowing, doesn't have much else at the moment. But at the same time, I that can report was not like confirmed that it's premiering there. So that's kind of out of the way. And Dune 2 missed the first time, so it's pretty easy for them to miss again. However, they could be like, oh, we snubbed you. We, we got to get you in this time. Yeah, I, I don't think that they'd be thinking we got to get you in this time because they might think that 
for the next film because this isn't the end of Dune, right? So as far as we I, know, I I think that it gets the Avatar two treatment. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot more sense. So my wild card, I have two wild card predictions. Last year, I said in May that Everything Ever All at Once was winning Best Picture, but if you asked me a year ago, I would have said it was She Said. Um, so this year, I'm going to try to make a prediction that I'm going to stick with for longer. And my early prediction, as of Oscars 2023, the winner of 2024 is going to be Past Lives. I'm going to say that right now. And we're going to see how long I stick with it. But I'm, I'm going to say it's Past Lives for Best Picture next year. And then my other wildcard prediction is there's a film called La Chimera, which is an Italian movie. It's directed by Alice Rohrwacher, who is currently nominated for Best Short Film, is going to get Picture, Director, Screenplay International next year. We've had a streak of movies that went to Cannes doing this exact kind of combo. Uh, even this year when I thought it wasn't going to happen, Triangle of Sadness did it. It just missed international because it's in English. But we had Triangle of Sadness, Drive My Car. Another round probably could have gotten all of that uh, if it had actually played Can and won the top prize, which it probably would have. Uh, and then 2019, we had Parasite. 2018, we had um, Cold War did something quite similar. And we had Black Klansman. There's always going to be a can movie that makes it in and pushes all the way. And plus, this one's from Neon, which they did the exact same thing with Triangle. They did the exact same thing with Parasite. So I really think that we're going to see La Chimera get in for at least four nominations next year. That's my bold, bold take because no one's heard of this movie yet. I haven't heard of this movie, but you make a great case off of that track record. And for the record, another round probably would have made picture in a set year of 10. Yes. Yes, it totally would have. If another round came out this year, it would be in. It would be in for sure. Great. Well, I can't wait to hear the initial can lineup and get the reactions because that's coming up soon. We're only like two, three months away from that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say we're like a month away from getting the lineup for can and then two months away from the festival actually happening. So that's always very exciting. And uh, I can't wait to see the lineup of those films and start dreaming about the possibilities of which of those can make it into the Oscar race. Awesome. Well, let's dive into what's going to win Best Picture this year in our next segment. Final Oscar predictions. And Matt, we mentioned this before, but like, there's so much that's still up in the air. It makes this year so interesting. There's a lot that's still up in the air, and there's a lot that's more locked than we've seen it in a very long time. Uh, there are some strong, strong, strong lockety-lock locks, like Best Picture. Best Picture yeah. is everything ever all at once. It won the Critics' Choice Award, the Directors' Guild Award, PGA, SAG, WGA. It has won everything that it needs and more to win Best Picture. The only things that it didn't get are BAFTA and the Golden Globe. Everything else it got. Everything ever all at once is winning Best Picture. If it were to lose, it would be the biggest surprise since La La Land. And even then, La La Land had a clear second place. We don't have a clear second place here. The other one that this would mirror if everything ever all at once was to lose would be Brokeback Mountain. That was one that had everything it needed. It had just lost one or two awards and everyone thought, okay, this is locked going into Oscar night. And then even through the show, it won best adapted screenplay. It won best director. You've got screenplay, director, it's getting picture, right? Nope, crash. We see everything ever all at once win best 
original screenplay, best director, then we have to be looking out for what gets best adapted screenplay, which is probably women talking, right? But if it's all quiet, that's when to start to worry that maybe that could snub the movie. Yeah, that was be my follow-up question is if everything everywhere all at once is head and shoulders above the rest, who is number two? Because for the most of the season, people are like, oh, it's the Fablemans, it's Banshees. I would also agree with your last statement there. Right now, it's all quiet because if you look at the total package, it's the one that has a chance to make the best case. It could get adapted. It could get cinematography. It has international. And maybe if they really love it, they could give it sound or something like that where it's like a very surprise type win. However, I'm not predicting that at all. And I think that everything everywhere has this in the bag. I would not give this my – uh. I mean, I might give this my double points on Gold Derby. I'm not entirely for sure, just because I have it at 13 to 2. That's better than what most people probably have it with, because there's a lot of these categories where I'm not as confident where I have those bigger odds. So we have Everything Everywhere winning Best Picture, and guess what? We both have it winning Best Director as well. And all season long, we were like, oh, it's going to be Spielberg. I know I wasn't saying that. I know you weren't saying that after we got to a point, but a lot of people out there were saying Spielberg has this. It's in the bag. It's clean sweep. And clearly, it wasn't because someone else clean sleep every award, and that was the Daniels. Well, do you remember all the people online saying, oh, the Daniels aren't even going to get nominated? Like, the Oscars just have something against directing teams. They don't, di- they don't nominate directing duos. And I remember everyone being, like, saying this, and yeah. I just kept thinking, and I kept seeing people posting it, like, what do you mean the Oscars don't like directing duos? Like, when have the Oscars had the opportunity to nominate directing duos? Like, the only time when they've snubbed a directing duo is Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton for Little Miss Sunshine. That's the only time when they've snubbed a directing duo. And that film wasn't about the direction. It was about the screenplay. So um, I had no idea what the hell people were talking about when they were like, oh, they won't nominate them because it's two of them. Yeah. That's not how it works. Even if Everything Ever All at Once were to fall at the finish line and lose Best Picture, they would still win Director. Yeah, it's just like you said with Brokeback Mountain. It won everything, it just lost Picture. And I will admit, I was a little late on the Daniels Director train. I didn't move them until my five until November, and they became my winner once Avatar premiered. So I made that switch there. But um, yeah, I think this is another pretty easy, clean, and this may be the biggest above-the-line lock of the nights i don't know it's on part of a supporting actor but we'll get there in a second i think it would be a major shock if anything else won here one of the biggest shocks of the evening let's hit best actress this one has a lot more contention going on but why don't Mm -hmm. you talk about what what's going on here so we're down to a two horse race which we've kind of been at at all season but it officially became that on nomination morning when danielle mm-hmm. denweiler uh did not make the cut here so we have michelle yo for everything everywhere and kate blanchett for tar blanchett seemed to be winning the whole season it won bafta it won critics choice it won globe drama but then we got to sag and michelle yo upset there she then went on to take the independent spirit award so now it's a little closer of a mix and if we already have everything everywhere winning director we have it winning picture we have it winning some other categories on top of the fact that it swept SAG, it won the most awards in history, and voting open right after that, so it's on this everything everywhere high, I think that she comes along with it. I know earlier in the season I was saying, like, hey, even if Blanchett wins everything, if Yo wins SAG, she has MBR, I'm going to go with her. Um, and I feel like I should, but also, 
it's just weird for me to predict everything everywhere and so much in the modern era because we just don't see that happen anymore. But stats are but meant to be broken. When have we had an opportunity to see that? Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Stats are meant to be broken, and this is the year where I feel like a lot of stats would become broken. I'm just going to prepare you guys right now. I'm predicting uh, an everything everywhere basically sweep. And I, I went through yesterday to be like, okay, when was the last time we saw a film win as many awards as I think everything everywhere is going to win? And the answer is, we have seen that type of sweep in recent years. We just haven't seen it for a Best Picture winner. Because Best mm. Picture has been going to a lot of like smaller films, a lot of films that don't have the tech elements, that don't have all of that going on. So, yeah, I mean, the, the last time we saw a big sweep the way that I feel Everything Ever All at Once is going to do was Gravity in 2013, which won seven awards. And the last time we saw it for a Best Picture winner was in 2008 for Slumdog Millionaire, which won eight. Um, so, but again, like, it's not like just in the modern era we don't see sweeps. I was going through year after year, and there was tons of years where, even in the mid-2000s, the era of the sweep, even in the 90s, the era of the sweep, there's tons of years where the top winner only wins like three or four awards right this isn't like a new thing uh and this is a rule that's always broken when there's a film that comes along that has enough passion that has enough momentum so yes i'm also going michelle yo here that said yesterday there was something that kind of gave me pause on it but i kind of rectified that by being like okay most of the ballots are already in at this point but did you see what michelle yo posted on instagram i i did see and i think the biggest takeaway from it is either her or her team, whoever posted it, realized like, hey, maybe this shouldn't have happened because it was posted and deleted within an hour. So yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway from that. While yes, it was a little shaky because to me, it kind of came off as the same thing everyone complained about with the two Leslie situation of vote me because this other nomination doesn't need it. Uh, but at the same time, they deleted it in a timely fashion, and it was the last day of voting, so I don't know how much of an impact it overall had, but it also is not a very, I think, good look. Because if she does go in to win, you have to think, like, oh, did she win because she made this questionable post, or did she win just because people love this performance overall? No, I, I if anything, that questionable post, I think, would make her less likely to win, because... I think people would see, ah, it's kind of, it's not great that you just posted an article and screenshotted a paragraph that says Kate Blanchett doesn't need another award. You know, I, I don't think that there's any bad blood between the two of them. They seem very friendly, but, um, and, and I don't think she really even thought through it. I think she was just like, oh, cool. Look, an article that says, here's why Michelle Yeoh should win. And didn't even think through the aspect of it that said, don't vote for Kate Blanchett. Right, that's mm -hmm. that's the bad thing about this. And actually, it reminds me of in 2009, one of the producers of The Hurt Locker got uh, his ticket to the ceremony revoked. And so he wasn't there to accept his award for Best Picture, but he got his ticket revoked because he, during the voting period, was emailing people and saying in his email, vote for the little movie. You don't need to support the billion-dollar movie Avatar. Vote for The Hurt Locker. And because he mentioned Avatar and said, don't vote for Avatar, don't support the billion dollar movie, he got his ticket taken away. Uh, obviously, they're not going to do the same thing for Michelle Yeoh, 
but it's a similar circumstance and you know you you just shouldn't be you shouldn't be posting things that demean the other people in the category yeah um i think the overall article was very like well written very informative yes. it was it was overall about like the um racism that can go into voting and how many women of color have not won this award so i think the overall part was great i think it should have been posted i just think maybe you take out that one paragraph because you don't need to include that my yeah, guess was that's the error in judgment my guess is maybe her or her manager whoever posted it because we don't know if it was her herself didn't read it and they just screenshotted each paragraph of the article and just posted the whole article and uh that one paragraph maybe shouldn't have come along you could have kept the other nine or eight slides however many it was yeah, I don't think so much didn't read it, but more didn't think about the implications of the rules in posting mm -hmm. that part. Uh, because I, I think that she's well within her rights to post an article that says, here's why Michelle Yeoh should win. We need to have um, this trend of white women winning this award broken. That's a, a fine thing to post. But yeah, they, they really should not have posted that. That said, do I really think that's going to affect anything? No, it was posted in the last, like, two hours of Oscar voting. Everyone had voted by that point, so it really doesn't matter, and I think Michelle Yeoh has the momentum to get in. That said, something I still see is even people who really love Everything Ever All at Once, a lot of them will still say, well, Kate Blanchett's still my favorite performance of the year. If Everything Ever All at Once truly sweeps, then this comes along with it. If mm -hmm. it loses some of the vulnerable categories, then Kate Blanchett takes this. I know if I was a voter, I would lean Blanchett in this category, but I think they would both be deserving. They'd both be great winners. Moving on to another category that is pretty much 50-50, you could say. Some people would say, at least, is Best Actor. I know I'm not in that 50-50 camp, but I think that you still are? No, I'm not 50-50. I'm 75-25. Not okay. okay, yeah, I'm like 80-20. So we're about the same, but I think we both have Austin Butler taking this award for Elvis over Brendan yeah. Fraser in The Whale. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, we have a long-running stat of the Best Actor winner coming from a Best Picture movie, and that's because passion matters here. It really matters about how much people like the movie, because it's clear people don't love The Whale as much as they love Elvis. Oh my god, they fucking love Elvis. So mm -hmm. that's really what's going to push Austin Butler over the top. Also, just the fact that when people say that they love Elvis, they're not talking about the movie. They're talking about Austin Butler. Yeah. That's what you see over and over in these honest ballots. The honest ballots are useful, but not in the way that a lot of people think. The honest ballots don't tell you how many votes are going to people. What they do tell you is how people feel about these things, because that indicates a trend. Like with Anthony Hopkins a few years ago, the trend that we saw right there that indicated hey anthony hopkins is going to upset chadwick boseman was we constantly saw people saying well chadwick boseman's probably gonna win but i guess i'm just gonna vote for my favorite anthony hopkins that was the indicator and the big trend i'm seeing and how people think with this category is they say austin butler was elvis austin butler was the entire movie that's why i liked the movie that's why it's high up in my best picture rank, and that's why I'm voting for it across the board. And to add on top of that, I, I saw this tweet the other day. I was going to find it here. Um, Oscar H on Twitter tweeted this out. Um, if you want to look at the best 
picture not best picture but the best acting performances there's at least been one real life person to win this award like you're portraying a real life person and that trend is pretty consistent since 2000 there's only been um one time that it hasn't happened that was in 2016 because like 2021 you have smith and chastain 2020 you have kaluuya 19 zellweger and 18 malik coleman ali and it goes on and on and on so 1997, 2016, those only last time, two times it's happened since then. And this year, the only person who can really fit that stat would be Austin Butler and Elvis because Ana de Armas isn't going to win. Neither of the Fablements people are going to win if you consider them portraying real life people. So well, Lydia Tarr is a real person, right? No. <laughs> I've just had this feeling all season long, and I'm not going to give up on it right now. It just has to be Austin Butler at this point. Also, because I, I am going to pick. Elvis in a lot of other categories, and I think that Elvis only wins those categories with the passion that Butler has. So, yeah, I, I'm sticking with Austin Butler here. That just feels good. We've been the same in every single category so far. I think we switch in this next one. Maybe not. Supporting actress time. Supporting actress. We I think we do switch in this one. I don't think we're we're going for the same person here. So, I'm gonna say right off the bat, there's three people that could win this award. We've got Angela Bassett, who is not my pick in this category, but Angela Bassett won the Golden Globe and the Critics' Choice Award. That said, the reason neither of us are predicting her right now is because it was when people said Angela Bassett's going to win the Oscar, the package that they were thinking that she would go into Oscar night with was Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, SAG. SAG seemed like it should be a surefire thing for Angela Bassett. And if SAG couldn't go for a Marvel movie, then I don't think the Oscars will either. Mm -hmm. Then the next two... The top two right here, and we're going to be going for different people on this, Jamie Lee Curtis and Carrie Condon. I'm going Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, for one thing, everything ever all at once, I think is going to sweep. It's coming off of the momentum of the SAG Awards, where Jamie Lee Curtis gave a fantastic speech, where she hyped up uh, everyone in the cast. She's become the face of this movie, which is really kind of interesting because this is such a, a great movie for representation of um, Asian actors and yet Jamie Lee Curtis has become the face of the movie. She's become the biggest cheerleader. She is the reason why a lot of these older voters have given the movie a chance and she has campaigned her ass off. She wants this. She is getting out there pounding the concrete, going on the talk shows. She's pumping this movie up. And I think that if we see in Everything Ever All at Once sweep, she comes along with it because people love her. This is the biggest opportunity to give a career award that we see this year. I think people like her attitude. This is going to be an award where if she wins, people are going to look back in a few years and go, eh, what, what the hell was that win? You had Stephanie Shu in the same category. How the hell did you give it to Jamie Lee Curtis? And here's my other thing. You're going to get into the case for Carrie Condon. I can see the case on a technical level, on like a math level, why she should win statistically. I've seen the performance and I don't get it. I don't get it. I just don't. She's good in the movie. She's very good. But I just don't think that character does much in the movie. Like she does a good job with a role that I just don't feel is substantial. That would be a, a performance that I would be even more confused about a, a win for in five years than I would for Jamie Lee Curtis, because I just don't think Carrie Condon does a whole lot in Banshees. This is a controversial opinion, but I have to go with my gut here, because Carrie Condon winning just doesn't make sense on the level of, I just don't get what's special about that performance. 
for the controversy here, at least I agree. It's my least favorite of the five here. But it seems like we're the only ones who think that because everyone else who I hear talk about this movie, they say she's their favorite part. However, Angela Bassett will not do the thing. And Jamie Lee may be all of us, but she's not taking this because Carrie, without the C, is going to win. And my case is what Matt mentioned, the stat. I know I mentioned stats don't matter this year, but they do sometimes because 2021, Ariana DeBose, West Side Story, it's only win. In 2020, Yoon Young Jung for Minari, it's only win. 2019, Laura Dern, Marriage Story, it's only win. 2018, Regina King, If Bill Street Could Talk, it's only win. 2017, Allison Janney, I, Tanya, it's only win. 2016, Viola Davis, Fences, it's only win. You see a trend here? And the only thing Banshees can really win at this moment, at least to me, is supporting actress and... I'm going to continue with this trend. The last time you have a winner that was not its film's only win was when this movie won Best Picture, 12 Years a Slave, Lupita Nyong'o. So we have a long trend. But when was the last time? It was when it won Best Picture. But outside of that, it's been solo wins, and Banshees is not winning picture, and I think this is the place you give Banshees the award. And I know... Voters don't think like this, but we see a, a trend happen, and when it's so consistent like this, I think it's something that has to be taken very serious, because you can look at some of the years before that as well. Uh, while they may not have been their films only win, they were one of a few, like Anne Hathaway and Les Mis, Octavia Spencer and The Help, Melissa Leo and The Fighter, uh, Monique and Precious, and it could go on and on and on. And this is a category where we very often see a film gets its only source of recognition as a sort of quote-unquote constellation prize. And I just think that, yes, Jamie Lee makes so much sense for right now. The passion for everything everywhere could overtake it. I still think there's a good amount of voters out there who's like, Stephanie Sue's so much better than her. I'm still going to vote for her, even though I love this movie. And I don't, I don't know. And I feel like the career narrative as well works for Bassett and Curtis, so they kind of split between each other. I don't know. I think this is going to be the closest like final tally race of all the categories and Condon, Curtis, Bass, it could all be at like 20 to 25% of the vote apiece. I don't think that that stat is causation. It's just a weird coincidence. Like it doesn't seem like people are going down their ballot and being like, well, I guess I have to vote for someone from a movie that's not going to win anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how voters work. Um, it's a coincidence that that's happened. But let's let's look through all of those. They were sweepers. Those guys all had one thing in common. They were all doing a sweep of the season. Let's look last year. Ar- Ariana DeBose swept. 2020, Yunya Jung. She was losing to Maria Bakalova for a little bit, and then she swept. Laura Dern swept. Regina King, everywhere she was nominated, she swept. But she missed a few places. Like, she was not nominated at... BAFTA or SAG, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anywhere she was nominated, she won. Uh, before that, 2017, Allison Janney swept. 2016, Viola Davis swept. We don't see that this season at all. This category is so fractured, right? So I don't know, man. I, I think that the stronger stat to go with here is BAFTA not getting one out of four right because the way i'm predicting it they'd only get austin butler right yeah i mean i wasn't saying the reason condon's winning is solely because of that i was just saying like hey this is another boost to support no for sure top of what you just mentioned there the bafta i would have it going to a four with condon winning with butler winning and that seems a lot more likely to me than sag going three or four or bafta going one of four 
I guess the thing that this year will really test is, does it really matter what award ceremony is last before voting? Because normally mm-hmm. BAFTA's last, and I wonder if this year we're going to see BAFTA's stats slide a bit, because, you know, they're they're not the last thing anymore. They're not the last word. Maybe SAG has more influence this year than BAFTA does. So we go from three acting categories that were pretty difficult to the one that's very obvious, because for Best Supporting Actor, we have everything everywhere all at once picking up another award with Kihi Kwan. <laughs> we said this last time. When it was the BAFTAs, in our predictions, we were like, oh, this is easy. You can just wrap it up for Quan, right? We can just wrap it up for Quan." And then it wasn't that, and Barry Keoghan won. But that's not going to happen again. That's not going to happen again. Everything ever all at once is sweeping enough that it's it's not going to happen again. And I think the, the point of that as well is, if you look at the BAFTA voter base, they did not really like this movie overall. They gave it nominations, but they didn't give it many wins. They gave ba- uh, Banshee some wins. Barry Keoghan's also a... Uh, uk actor so he's a little bit more notable over there than kiki kwan and i think put both of those together and that's how you got that upset over there so i think that we should move into another category where it's everything everywhere versus banshees and that's best original screenplay where i think i finally turned the tide and put everything everywhere at my number one same here i mean it's sweeping so much but that said banshees still has a big shot here and like i said i mean this is the same with michelle yo if everything ever all at once is sweeping, it takes this. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't sweep, then Banshees gets it. Yeah, I think I would agree. I still look back to the Get Out and Three Billboards year, and I think this is very much correlating with it. And I would stay with Banshees to break that like cycle that we had that year. However, everything everywhere is just sag sweep makes me think like banshees is just very it just is very much a more critics thing than a more general audience thing and the oscars are more general audience than they are critics and i think this is where you award everything everywhere in another category because you love it so much because it's best original screenplay banshees is original with some of its themes but everything everywhere is the definition of original different one of a kind and to me this category has been going to more of those type of movies here in the past promise young woman get out uh parasite and i think that continues here with everything everywhere yeah that was the reason early in the season why people were predicting everything ever to just like sweep the season for best original Mm -hmm. screenplay is they were like this is so original it's so new it's so fresh Uh, and there was a point in time where people were predicting everything ever all at once was just going to get an original screenplay nomination and then when it became clear it was going to become a best picture thing then people were saying, oh, well, it's going to win Best pic- uh, best Original Screenplay as well. Because, like you said, it fits that trend of films winning this category. Uh, exciting, new, fresh voices. I just love how up in the air a lot of these categories are, especially above the line. Like, outside of Kwan, Picture and Director, everything else you could make a case for two or three different things. And that carries over to Best Adapted Screenplay, where... I think we're down to two with women talking in All Quiet on the Western Front. And as you mentioned before, if All Quiet is a potential best picture spoiler, obviously it takes this. But if it's not, women talking has this in the bag. It's won everything it needs to outside of BAFTA where All Quiet won, but All Quiet won everything there. And I think that was just a BAFTA thing. People were saying, watch out for women talking losing the USC scripter. It won. Watch out for women talking losing the WGA. It won. It's won everything it needs. All Quiet wasn't nominated at all of those places. But that said, 
women talking is just so strong. The only hurdle that women talking has for a win is if people just don't watch it. That's the only thing. There's a lot of people who won't watch this movie and do they have something to congregate behind? Because the men who won't watch this movie, they're either going to vote for All Quiet or Top Gun. But there's no clear choice between those two. I, I still think Women Talking has the edge. But maybe if there was only one, like, super bro-y movie here, if there was only one of All Quiet, one of Top Gun, then maybe, just maybe, Women Talking might fall here. But there's not, and those votes are going to split, and Women Talking will prevail. I mean, I agree with everything you said there besides, I think, the vote splitting. I don't think many people who are not going to vote for Women Talk are going to go Top Gun. I think that they're going to go All Quiet and only All Quiet. If they were going Top Gun, Top Gun would have won PGA and would be stronger, would have got into director or maybe actor. However, um, I, I still think Women Talking has this. I think just that you see, yes, maybe not a lot of people watch or not all the people watch it, but a lot of people still did because it got the picture. Yeah. It got in here to adapt it. That's kind of all it needed. It's this triangle of sadness package just without director. And it's in a category where it's a lot stronger than triangle of sadness was. And to me, I think it has this, not in the bag, but I'm very confident after those last two wins. And I still think the BAFTA thing was just BAFTAs being BAFTA because BAFTA this year was insane, only giving awards to three movies, essentially. So Yeah, man. Uh, We'll, we'll see that with All Quiet going forward. I'm very low in All Quiet compared to a lot of other people, uh, in terms not in terms of its quality, but in terms of its Oscar potential. But let's move on to Best Cinematography, where I feel like I've done quite a flip on this category. Yeah. Beforehand, we had All Quiet on the Western Front win the BAFTA. It won the British Society of Cinematographers. Both places, mind you, where Elvis was nominated and did lose. But we know that the Brits, they love They're All Quiet. And that might not translate as much in America, where Elvis just won the American Society of Cinematographers. Now, All Quiet was not nominated there, but it beat Top Gun. It beat Top Gun, which was the presumed frontrunner, you know? So I don't know, man. This one is one that I keep going back and forth on because in my mind, I'm like, this should be All Quiet, right? This should be all quiet. But I, mean, I think I'm going Elvis. I've been very off the rails of this category since Top Gun did not make the cut because I said right away it's going to be Elvis. And uh, ASC has never given the award to a movie not nominated at the Oscars. So to me, uh, Top Gun was immediately taken off of the chance to win at ASC. So it was between Elvis, Bardo, and Empire of Light. Empire of Light and Bardo are both the same type of work sort of so that leaves elvis and elvis is so flashy it's so showy we just did an elvis revisiting episode where we go more into detail about elvis's cinematography but for the oscars itself elvis just i feel like fits the mold for what this category would want to do and as i just mentioned last category i'm not as high as all quiet for the oscars performance i do think that is more of a european a more of a bafta thing and i don't think it's going to carry over it carried over in terms of some nominations but for wins, I'm not really seeing that. I could easily be wrong. I've been seeing the praises of Elvis' cinematography all season. And just like actor, I'm going to be stubborn and just stick with it. But I'm feeling a lot better about it now that it has one ASC. I keep going back and forth on this. I, I don't know what to do in this category. I really don't. Because All Quiet is the one that on paper should win. It mm -hmm. should win on paper. It's stronger in Best Picture, right? Like it's it's second place in Best Picture. But at the same time, is there passion for it? 
if it's not winning cinematography, then I can't say it's number two in picture, can I? That's the thing, though. As we mentioned a little bit earlier when we were having a discussion of like, oh, what is number two in picture? I think it will be a year like Nomadland where we figure out what number two is after the ceremony. No one was saying the father was number two coming into the night, but it won Adapted, it won Hopkins, it probably was number two in a various different technical categories. And yeah. I could see the case that Elvis is our second award getter in the night. And I'm not saying it would be number two in picture, but I would say it's a lot higher than where a lot of people are currently pegging it. Man, I, I this is so tricky to me. Um, I think I'm going to stick for Elvis for now, but I might switch back to All Quiet by the weekend. Let's move into a category I think was pretty locked up for the longest of time, but I think I'm now switching over to give this to another victory for Everything Everywhere All At Once and Best Everything. So the reason why we didn't have Everything Everywhere for a long time, I know right away I had been saying all season long, that there could be an upset and that everything everywhere could win because the editing is so visible, it's so strong. I mean, your grandma was on the show last week and she even pointed out the editing. Mm-hmm. Like, she was like, oh, you gotta get, like, editing is so, it's so good here. And for so long, the only reason we've been uh, holding on to Top Gun was because it's gonna win sound, right? That's been the thing that we've held on to the entire time, is the correlation between sound and editing. But that said, that can die this year, because Everything Ever All at Once is the most visibly edited movie of the year, right? A lot of the time, we see the best sound go to a movie uh, that has a lot of editing, that is like Top Gun, very loud, very big, very flashy, but that movie has never been up against a best picture contender that is as flashy as everything ever all at once. Uh, So that's really the argument here. Not just that though, it won the Critics' Choice Award. It won the BAFTA where it lost everything else, even when they couldn't give everything ever all at once a single other award. It took editing, which shows that even people that don't absolutely love the film over the top, they still vote for it in editing. Overall, everything everywhere has kind of swept the season. And because it's so powerful, it's so big, and it has so much goddamn editing, it's got to take this, right? I was still on the Maverick train even after BAFTA, but sitting with it a little bit longer, because I was like, oh, BAFTA, they just don't like Maverick because it's an American movie. It wasn't in their picture. It wasn't in the director. They're obviously a lot lower on it. But sitting with it longer, and especially with the surge that everything everywhere is having right now during voting, I think this is a category where it easily jumps from number two to number one because... Maverick's a movie I can't see going home empty-handed, but when I think of Maverick, there's another thing I think of a little bit more before editing, where if you think of everything everywhere, the editing's like the first thing that jumps off the page to you. It is, because you think about how they pulled that movie off, not just was it the screenplay, it was also you had to have an editor that could pull together like eight different threads at all times and make sure that you could follow everything that was happening in every single one of these different threads of the story. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is an achievement that is a massive achievement so i think that moves us over to best sound where this is the category i do have top gun maverick getting its solo victory which feels weird for a movie of this scale that people were saying at least like a week ago is number two in picture for it to fall this much to only get two because of the cinematography snub it's losing editing it's just taking sound but also i could see a world where if all quiet is for real at the oscars is just not a bafta thing it takes sound it takes cinematography it's getting it adapted it's getting international. And in that case, yeah, you're number two for picture. You're maybe even number one. Um, All Quiet 
could take sound, but I, I think that I got to stick with Top Gun because I just don't see a world where the Academy goes, hey, fuck that movie. <laughs> Let's not give it anything. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm there with you. I think this is a very not safe win, but it, it just feel it, it just feels right. Like, I wouldn't think too much about this. And on top of that, I think we should just hit a bunch of categories where we don't have to think too much about because they're all pretty locked up, like Best Animated Feature, where Game of Thrones Pinocchio has swept the season. I've even seen some Oscar ballots that have said, oh, if it was any other year, I would have voted for Puss in Boots, but it's not, and Pinocchio's here. Pinocchio mm -hmm. won Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, PGA, Annie, and the editing prize. It's crazy. Pinocchio has a clean sweep of the season. Rightfully so. It is the best one, so we're. I, I'm happy with that. I'm very happy with that. Next category we can talk about here is Best International Feature, uh, which we can just say right now is locked up for All Quiet on the Western Front. Yes, it did lose the Critics' Choice. Yes, it did lose the Golden Globe, but it's in Best Picture. It's in mm -hmm. Best Picture. It has to win here. If it lost here, that would be one of the biggest upsets of all time. I saw a stat the other day that says a movie that has been nominated in International Feature and Best Picture has never lost International Feature. So to that alone means, hey, you got to go all quiet. And hypothetically speaking, I don't even know who would be number two because I've seen people say, oh, it's Argentina 1985. But that movie just doesn't scream people no, are putting yeah. that number one. Close has the passion but also has a lot of tractors. Quiet Girl and it has the passion. And it hasn't anything. But it's also very small, and EO, to me, just isn't a number one movie on a grander scale type place. So All Quite easily has this. Even if it wasn't in picture and it had no other nominations, I would say it easily still wins this award. So that brings us to the last of these pretty easy ones, but not completely easy, I guess, for documentary. Because Navalny makes the most sense, but Fire Love does have the stuff it needs to at least put up a fight. We, we see a very clear two-horse race here. I'm still going to stick with what we've been saying all season, that Navalny is really far and away the winner. But that said, Fire of Love has the Director's Guild Award, and it has the Eddie Award for documentary. We went through our stats a few weeks ago, and the ACE Eddie Award has, in the past 10 years, given 9 out of 10 correct choices. And this year they gave it to Fire of Love. So yes, they have a 90% correlation. But that said, when I predicted that, for the Eddie, when I said Fire of Love was going to win, I was thinking, like, they don't care about politics here. They just care about whether the movie's edited well, which yeah. Fire of Love is. Navalny is political. It is political. And again, going back to these honest Oscar ballots, there was one sentence that was said in one of those that I've been saying all season, which is someone said, I'm voting for Navalny. It's a great movie. It's entertaining. It's thrilling i didn't know some of these things happened plus this is a great opportunity to give the middle finger to putin which mm -hmm. i've been saying all year long um ever since we have been talking about navalny i said if they do nominate it it's gonna win because it's a way to say fuck you putin right so i think there's a lot of voters that are gonna think like that that are gonna look at this and go well fuck putin right let's vote for this uh, we both predicted Fire Love to take uh, the ace just because, hey, it's a very well-edited movie, and that fits with them. Navalny has some flashy editing, especially in that phone call sequence, but the movie as a whole isn't – you don't think of it for its editing. So I still think, like you just said, it's Navalny for the political factor as well as a lot of people say, hey, this is my top ten movies of the year, let alone documentaries. It's one of my favorite movies of the year where Fire Love is a very well-made documentary, just not – 
there's just not that overwhelming passion for it. We just did a bunch of easy categories. Do you want to continue with some more easy ones, or do you want to go back to let's, some really difficult let's ones? Let's hit a couple more easy ones, because let's go visual effects, where Avatar, yeah. The Way of Water, is locked, and has been locked ever since the film was announced. It, yeah, ever since it was confirmed to actually come out, it, it's it's been the, uh, the clear and away head and shoulders number one. I yeah. also think another really easy one here is best hair and makeup for Elvis. Elvis is absolutely number one in hair and makeup. I've seen some people saying it's the whale here, but the whale has only won one thing in makeup all season long. Elvis also has Critics' Choice and BAFTA and Austin Butler's winning Best Actor. Hell, even if Brendan Fraser were to upset and win Best Actor, the whale would still not win makeup. I firmly believe that. What Elvis has is the prosthetics on the face, it has the hair, and it has a lot of characters. It has extras, it has leads, it has supportings, while the whale is just Charlie Brendan Fraser's character. So, to me, this is pretty easy. Uh, I would honestly say second place is still Black Panther, but um, overall, I think Elvis is going to win. No, I, I would say that the whale is second place, because it's the only other film that has won a makeup prize. So... The Whale is still second place, and what I would actually say is if makeup comes along and The Whale does win, then we're looking at a Brendan Fraser win. So the last very easy category I think we have is Best Original Song, where I guess you, I could see the case for Hold My Hand or This Is A Life saying like, hey, if these movies are surging in another category, they come along, but Not Too Not Too for RR seems like it has this in a bag. It's one uh, the two only precursors for original song. And a stat that I heard from Next Best Picture was when a movie wins both, they have never lost the Oscar. I think Natu Natu is so beloved that it's going to win. It's such a feel-good song. And if anyone's heard the song, you know, if they just hear the song, maybe they don't vote for it. If they watch the video, if they watch the movie, they vote for this. That said, I've seen some people saying This Is A Life is creeping up because... Since Everything Everywhere is so strong, maybe that song can come along with it. I doubt it. I really doubt it. I don't think that that's one that needs to come along. If someone's voting down the ballot, I still think that even the biggest Everything Ever All at Once stands, like me, would still go for Not To Not To, because the same type of people that like Everything Everywhere would also like RRR. So that brings us to original score, where it is the category I think Everything Everywhere would creep up in here in the music, the music ones. But I don't know what to do because I don't want to not pick Babylon just because it's just that much, at least to me objectively, so much better than everything else here. So this is a four-horse race. The only film here that I don't think is a chance is The Banshees of Nishiren. Um, But otherwise, everything ever all at once, it has the passion of the movie behind it. And the thing that we see in this category so often is we see that the movie with the most passion wins here. Uh, and so since there's no sweeper here, and Babylon has lost over and over and over at places, it lost the BAFTA, it lost the Critics' Choice to Tar! To Tar! It keeps losing. It's wild that this movie keeps losing, because it seems like the clear frontrunner, but that said, it just doesn't seem to have the passion behind it as a movie. So I don't know, man. Like, maybe we're overthinking it, and it really is just Babylon. But we have three other Best Picture nominees that have strong cases. Everything Everywhere has the most passion. The Fablemans has a career narrative for John Williams. People saying, oh, maybe this is the last time we have 
to award him. So let's let's give it to him here. That's very possible. And then All Quiet on the Western Front has the BAFTA. So it could be any one of these four. Right now, I'm with you, Dylan. I'm going everything ever all at once. And I would like to say people who put their stuff in the first day of Gold Derby have everything everywhere in this category for 100 to 1 odds. So if I end up do finalizing this, this will be my second uh double points but we haven't got to my main double points one that's i think the last category that we'll go over today so we move on from score which i think is the biggest head scratcher of any category at this very moment but we get into one where i know a lot of people are still up in the air with but i think it's pretty secure and that's best costume design as i have elvis but i know that you and a lot of other people are creeping up with the everything everywhere sweep no i i have elvis too this is one that i've gone back and forth on so much because Black Panther Wakanda Forever was able to beat Elvis at the Critics' Choice Awards. And the Critics' Choice Award has a great correlation with this. Where did Black Panther lose? It lost at the Guild to Everything Ever All at Once, which shows so much strength for that movie. But that said, if I'm predicting Elvis for makeup, for actor, for cinematography, I kind of have to predict it in costume design, right? So. Mm -hmm. I'm going with that here. It has the BAFTA. It has the Costume Designers Guild. But Everything Ever All at Once could upset here with its Costume Designers Guild win. I also do think Black Panther still has a chance of an upset here. It would be a weird solo win, at least to me, for Black Panther to win in costume design this year. Because you're going against the Best Picture Serger of Everything Everywhere. And then you're going against Catherine Martin, who has this category pretty downlocked. And to me, I think both of those are a lot more drawn to for voters than black panther would be not say black panther's not good work uh but wakanda forever hasn't been soaring as high as the original black panther did back in 2018 so to me i'm still rocking with Catherine martin elvis win here and the other category where Catherine martin normally doubles up and it doesn't look like she's going to do that this year with best production design where a lot of people are still rocking with babylon however if babylon's just dead overall could we see Catherine martin just end up winning both but at the same time the oscars normally just go with their hollywood recreations and babylon has that in droves well here's the thing dylan babylon we've said this over and over at awards where we're like ah is babylon really gonna win two here and we always say oh it'll win score but it'll lose production design that was our argument for bafta that's what we mm -hmm. said at critics choice like we say this over and over and Babylon keeps winning production design and losing score <laughs> over and over. Yeah. Um, it did that at the Critics' Choice Award where both of us went, oh, it's going to be Avatar for production design and Babylon for score. Well, it was Babylon for production design and Tar for score. Uh, at BAFTA, we both split. I said Elvis, you said All Quiet for production design. It was just Babylon all along. But where did we both predict Babylon? Score. What lost score? Babylon. Babylon. And All Quiet won instead. So... I don't want to do the same mistake here. Babylon has swept the production design awards. It has swept those awards. I don't see an argument for anything else here because even when people don't love the movie, they still go for the production design of it. And it's weird that that's happening, but it's not doing the same thing in score. The, the one thing I would do to fight back is this is a category that rarely ever has a solo winner. Dune, Mank, once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Black Panther, Shape of Water, La La Land, Mad Max, Grand Budapest Hotel, Great Gatsby, Lincoln, Hugo, and then you had to go all the way back to 2010 with Alice in Wonderland for a solo winner that didn't win in another category. Unless mm -hmm. I won two. I, I can't remember. But since then, 
at least this movie takes another one and that's why i'm still like maybe babylon gets score as well so it's a, a pairing and that's where i do see the slight chance for Catherine martin just to win again because she's won for great gatsby she's won for moulin rouge both of those times she won two awards and she's up for two here so maybe she gets both but as we mentioned when you break stats, normally you are a sweeper. Babylon is a sweeper, so I am still going with Babylon. Now we get to get to the very fun categories, and this is where you get to make or break all of your little Oscar pools that you play, because sometimes people just go with what's number one on Gold Derby. Some people just go for what number five is on Gold Derby. Some people just go for the one with the coolest title. But we're here to tell you what is actually going to win all three of these awards, and I want to start off in a different order, because I think we should start off with Documentary Short, because we sung the praises of, not for the quality, but for the nomination for this when it was 15th place on Gold Derby on the short list, and it made it, and then I think we both had this winning documentary short, but at 101 odds, I have Stranger at the Gate. I remember when we went through all the shortlisted shorts, and I was talking, I didn't know what the odds were, and I was talking about all of the ones, and I was like, Stranger at the Gate is like number three for a nomination here, and you were like, Really? That's 100 to 1 odds. And I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? That's getting nominated. That could win. It was last place. That could win this prize. Um, yeah, it was last place at the time. And I, I called it for a nomination then. I don't want to say I was like, ooh, look at me. I called it for a nomination. Like, if you saw the movie, you would know it got nominated. Like, that's yeah. just what it was. You you could see that coming if you, if you watched the movie. Um, I also have Stranger of the Gate. But what I want to say first is... I've seen all of these short films in every category. That's actually not always a good thing because it makes you very biased uh, and it can sometimes cloud your judgment and make you pick things that are maybe not the wisest choice. The front runner here, I believe, is the Elephant Whisperers, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm sticking with Stranger at the Gate because it's political. It is a biodoc right? Um, the other bio docs in this category would just be this and the Martha Mitchell effect, which both are profiles on a person. But let's, let's talk about previous winners in this category. If you look backwards in time, they give this award to two types of movies, political movies like Stranger at the Gate or bio docs, right? I actually went through all of the films all the way back. The last time a nature movie won, which The Elephant Whisperers is a nature movie. It's about an elephant conservatory uh, where, you know, they, they take care of elephants and, and raise them, and uh, it's a beautifully shot film. But the last time a nature documentary won this category was in 1968. A long, long, long time. Ever since then, the prize every year goes to political films or it goes to films that are specifically like The Queen of Basketball last year. Look at this person. It does that year after year. It's a profile on a person. Stranger at the Gate is both political and it's a profile on a person. It may be misguided, but people are going to feel good about watching it and going, oh yeah, we could solve racism if people were just nicer to each other. So we go from a category where I think we're making, I don't know if it's a huge upset, but like it seems like most people are with Elephant Whispers, but we go to a category where I think it's a two-horse race to a three, maybe four-horse race, and live action is short, because you have you have Night Ride, which I think fits the same type of angle yeah. as Stranger at the Gate, but I don't see them doing two of them in one year, so to me that's number four. Then you have the top three of Le Pupil, 
the red suitcase and an Irish goodbye, which I think they all have strong cases. However, for better or for worse, I, for better for our predictions, but worse in terms of like how you're voting, they tend to go with the one that's in English, and the only one that's in English is an Irish goodbye, and that's why it is my pick here. The last time they didn't go for an English language film and live action short was like the mid-2000s, I think. They always go for the English short here. They like really do. But yeah, I think we have to go for the English language one. Plus, here's the thing. Voting for an Irish goodbye is like voting for Banshees. It's Irish, dark humor, and it's going to coattail. It's going to coattail on the love for Banshees. Banshees could lose everything. And if an Irish goodbye wins here, it still feels to me like a win for Banshees. Yeah, I was going to say, imagine Banshees lose a supporting actress, say lose a screenplay, and this is the win for Ireland, even though, hey, it's not the movie you thought was going to get the win. Um, yeah. That brings us to our final category in our final short, which is animated. To me, it's a 250-50 type of shot here. Ice Merchants, I know, seems to be most people's favorite, but doesn't really have a shot to win. And that leaves My Year of Dicks and The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, which my instinct is telling me to go The Boy, The Mole, but also I just see so much passion for My Year of Dicks. So I'm really split on this category. I agree with you. I think it is a 50-50 two-horse race, but I don't think it's the two-horse race that you think it is. I think that this is actually between Ice Merchants and My Year of Dicks and not The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. And the reason I say that is because if we look back at different years in this category, the last time when a movie as directed towards kids as The Boy, The Mole, and The Fox, and The Horse won was like 2016. Let's see the pattern here. Last year, Robin Robin, cute animal movie, loses. 2020, Burrow, cute animal movie, loses. 2019, Kitbull, cute animal movie, loses. Then in 2018, there was no cute animal movie. Last time a cute animal movie won was 2016 with Piper, which was the one about the little birdie on the beach. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the last time that a cute animal movie won. Otherwise, they go for a movie that's from the perspective of adults. They go for a movie that's usually about childhood, uh, but again, through the eyes of a parent, uh, over and over, we see that happening. Uh, if anything happens, I love you. Hair love, bow, right? Uh, and that's why I'm going Ice Merchants. My Year of Dicks could win based on the title, but I'm going to be honest, I watched it again yesterday, and I really don't like this movie. I think it would be one of the worst winners ever in this category. I think the funniest thing of that whole like thing that you did, I remember like all those shorts like, hey, that showed in front of Finding Dory, that showed in front of Angry Birds 2 or whatever. And I was like, wow, funny enough how that works. But I, I just don't know what to do here because I do agree, like looking online, that the, the passion seems to be with Ice Merchants. I just don't know if it's that Academy passion or is that like yeah. film Twitter passion. My Year Dicks has both. It seems like it has the the buzz of like, hey, it's got the the title that is very fun, but also there's a lot of people online who do love this movie. And The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse has won the awards it needs to win. Um, and it has a celebrity cast. It's coming from a studio that's very much pushing it, but it is solely geared to kids. And there's some people out there who really don't like that movie because of how much it's geared to kids. So like, yeah. I see the angle for all three. Um I'd say I if you're between if My Year boy... of Dicks and The Boy, The Mole, go with My Year of Dicks. Yeah, that, that's where I'm leaning to at the moment. The, the Boy, The Mole would be the longest winner in history. So I, I guess I'm going to lean My Year of Dicks. But as you mentioned before on cinematography, it's something that I'm probably going to change all the way up until Sunday. So definitely check out the Discord because I'll post my final prediction there. Yeah, be open to Ice Merchants because that movie does have the passion. 
Uh, it's really... Have you seen Ice Merchants yet? I have not. Watch it, and then... But that see, this is also the mistake that's made in these short categories so often, and that's why a lot of the time I suffer in these categories, is I pick with bias, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's best not to pick with bias, but to me, Ice Merchants is such a beautiful film, it feels undeniable for the win here. The last thing I want to do before we wrap up here is say where our double points are going on Gold Derby. Because I think that's fun. It, it helps our game. And then when we see, like, hey, how do we do? We could have, like, both 20 out of 23. But our points is where we differ. So my double points are going to Stranger in the Gate and Everything Everywhere and score at both 100 to 1 odds. I'm probably going to do the exact same thing as you on that. Stranger in okay. the Gate and Everything Ever All at Once and score. Interesting. Well, that should make that should make this fun. It'll come down to our supporting actress and some stuff like that where we differ a little bit. Creed 3 finally hits cinemas again. We're welcome back into this Rocky Creed universe, and this time we get the directorial debut of Michael B. Jordan, something I was very excited for when I first heard about this movie. And at least on initial viewing, he's 100% has a feature in directing. And I don't want to be like too facetious, but like I could see him going down the, at the line this year of being that like first time director nominee that shows up everywhere and maybe wins at a few places. But uh, overall, I'm. I guess to talk more specifically about this movie, I'm I've never been a huge fan of the Rocky franchise. I think the first one's really good, but I'm not super invested. I'm like, oh, Rocky's like the greatest thing of all time. But I really do like these Creed movies because of how they were able to reinvent the franchise, connect to a new audience, and really be a vehicle for Michael B. Jordan to show like, hey, I can really act and not just in these type of movies you're used to seeing me in, but in these type of movies. And I think each movie has a very interesting and well thought out villain or anti-hero because i don't really think there's Mm -hmm. any villains in these movies but overall just talking about creed 3 itself what were your thoughts about this movie your connection to the franchise and michael b jordan's directorial debut i'm i'm like you i don't really i'm not a huge fan of the rocky or creed movies i like them Uh, i would say for me rocky one is like a, a strong nine out of ten that movie i think is is pretty fantastic it's not one of my absolute favorites of all time but it works and it's also i would say one of the inventors of the independent film movement because that was a movie that they just they just scrappily made that you know you've got this this scrappy uh actor writer who put his his life on the line he took out so much money to get that movie made and then it became this cultural sensation and one best picture uh, over taxi driver uh, over network that's pretty amazing that that happened so rocky one is great i haven't seen any of the other rocky movies though i just haven't like I, i've never gotten around to them um i haven't heard that they're amazing so like i'm sure i'll watch them eventually i, I just haven't seen them but then I, I watched creed uh in 2015 because i loved ryan coogler and i was like sure i'll watch this because fruitvale station is great so I'll, I'll check this out. And I loved that movie. I really loved it. I recently rewatched it and loved it less than I did the first time around. But, you know, it's it's got a heart. Uh, and it's well filmed. It's well done. Creed 2, I thought was decent. You know, I, I didn't love it. But uh, it, it did what it was trying to do pretty well. And I thought the same thing about Creed 3. Uh, it's one that I wouldn't say I loved the same way I did Rocky or Creed. Uh, this one... I'm just going to say right now, I would give it like a decent 7 out of 10. That's not to say it's not a, a very well done movie, but you know, I think it falls into some of the, the tropes of this boxing movie. Uh, it falls into some of the cliches, but ultimately it does what it's trying to do pretty well. 
and like you said, Michael B. Jordan, his direction on the film is really good. He's punching above the weight that the script is punching. I loved the first Creed. I think it was one of my favorite movies of that year. I think Kukler should have been in director and whatnot. Creed 2, I thought was a huge, massive disappointment. I thought the script issues there were awful. There was a complete tonal mess. Like I think it was more my expectations hurt it than the movie itself, but I really did not enjoy Creed 2. So Creed 3, I was kind of mixed going into. It's like, I love the first one. The second one has so many issues. Where are they going to go? And I think where it went was pretty good. Overall, I would give it like a strong seven, a light eight. Um, this stuff I really liked, this stuff I really didn't like. But the thing I liked most about this movie is for the second time in three weeks, we just see Jonathan Majors just be the best thing in what he's done. Um, <laughs> Dude, man. He's just able to add so much to this movie where if it was a, another actor in that role, I'd probably be on that, that. No, I'm just a seven, not an eight. But to me, his performance, his role his power, his emotion, I could just go on and on, just elevates this movie. So what were your thoughts on Jonathan Majors here as well as the rest of the cast? His thing right now is he walks into a movie and sh- makes everyone else look like shit. <laughs> he's, he cares so much, you can tell he's so into it. Recently, he's been knocking out of the park every single time. One thing I will say about Jonathan Majors, though, that I didn't like in this movie is he looks goofy as fuck when he's boxing. He looks so think- goofy. That, that was the point, though. He's not classically trained. He's been in jail for 20, 18 years. So, like, he's he he doesn't know, like, the exact steps, the motions. So he's doing his own thing. That's why he's chucking and driving and throwing elbows and everything like that. That's not – like, yeah, he was trained growing up, but he just spent 18 years in jail where he's just boxing with himself or boxing with other people in the jail. So, like, it's not – traditional style and i i that to me was at least a positive but i do get the Uh, obviously it does look it does look a little weird maybe maybe that is the point it's just more it looks like someone who doesn't know how to fight uh and Mm -hmm. i mean i'm saying this as someone who doesn't know how to fight but one thing i will say is the way that he swung with like very straight arms the entire time um, and like, it looked like he was jabbing out exclusively with, I don't know the it looked like he would hurt himself if he was actually punching like that. Like I said, to me, it worked because I took it as like, he's that he's just so different because he isn't classically trained and he's been in jail. So like he has his own style and that's why he's able to spoilers win that first fight to have yeah. that fight with Creed. And he's just so different and that's what works for his character like he wants this chance and that's why like the coach and the other boxers that he has to encounter until then are just like this is weird like why are you giving him a shot he's he's not like us yeah he looks like a goofball my that's how my mom described him because i watched it with her he's like oh he he just makes some very goofy faces and movements i was like yeah but i i think i think that just what elevates his character but going to some of the other actors and actresses in this movie michael b jordan i thought was really good here i think he as well as majors really elevates the script i think this is a pretty weak script overall but i'll dive in that a little bit later i love tessa thompson as an actress i just think she has nothing to do in these creed movies and i will also touch on that when we talk about the script later i think she's just been wasted in all three of these movies and someone who really surprised me in this movie is uh who played their daughter amara uh myla davis kent i thought she was very fantastic and uh very much like I keep mentioning, all these actors really elevate their characters. They're, they're bringing so much more than it's actually there. As mentioned before, Michael B. Jordan, 
he's in the director's chair this time. Uh, Creed franchise has had a new director in each movie, so to me, they've each had a very different style for each film, and he switches up even more here in the boxing scenes, which are all filmed in IMAX and very much inspired from anime, which to me added an additional flair and pop that was really missing from Creed 2 that Kugler had in Creed 1 with some of those extended long takes in the boxing scenes. So overall, what were your thoughts on this new creative decision? I didn't get to see the movie in IMAX, unfortunately, but I really liked how the boxing scenes were filmed. Uh, it felt like they were filmed a lot of the time with a steady cam, kind of moving through the fights, which I thought was mm -hmm. a really interesting choice. It really popped visually. I don't really see the anime influence personally, but I, I just liked how fluid these scenes felt. And it felt like uh, Michael B. Jordan was taking directly from what Ryan Coogler did, not on the first Creed, but on Black Panther. Because on Black Panther, something Ryan Coogler really did well was the fight scenes felt very fluid. It always felt like the camera was kind of floating in a very dynamic way around the scenes. Uh, and that's what I felt in these these boxing scenes, even to a greater extent than what Ryan Coogler typically does. So I thought that was really impressive. It was a really cool, creative decision. The anime influences... I'm saying this as someone who doesn't really watch anime, but from watching like interviews with Michael B. Jordan and stuff, it was more in like the style of like the punches. Like there's one scene yes, where they I both punch each other, which is directly influenced, and like the scene where like the jail cell comes around and the whole crowd goes away. Some of those oh, more artistic yeah, yeah. type flares. That's a cool um, one. However, as I mentioned before, my biggest flaw with this movie is its pacing, its tone, and its script. It feels like there's three or four different movies here that are all not really getting to fully speak, but still getting a little bit. And you're like, I want more, but I don't know which one to get. Uh, some subplots are very well dived into. Like, I think uh, Dame's story is very well done. But then the subplot with uh, Creed and his mother or Creed and his family life and not being able to express himself are all kind of just touched on but not really dive deep into um as mentioned before tessa thompson's character is someone who i thought was really good in the first movie she had a point in the last two movies she's just been like i'm your supportive wife and i don't really have anything else besides a music career i can't really do anymore but i'm here and i want to hear you and like i feel like there's so much more that could be done with her character tessa thompson's doing her most just the script's not giving her anything else to do besides i can't perform in concerts so i make music and i'm your wife and i want to make sure you're happy and our daughter's safe but uh, there's so much I could ramble here. There's so much I love with this movie, and there's so much I don't like. But overall, the stuff I love trumps the stuff I, I'm not a fan of. Sometimes the, the pacing's a bit off. I think thematically, it also sets up a lot of things that it doesn't really end up following through on. Like very early on with, uh, with Amara, they set up this idea that the film is about um, learning when to fight and when not to. Um, it's, it's all about like, at what points do you use your words and at what points do you use your fist? But I don't think it really follows through on that idea of, of learning the right time to take physical action and the right time to, uh, to talk it through. It, it's, it sets that up and then they still just fight through it. And then in the end, you know, they, of course they make up, but they made up because they fought. They didn't make up mm -hmm. because they talked. Um, but that's the, the, I mean, it's a boxing movie, so maybe it's just a hard theme to set up and actually deliver on. As we are kind of like an Oscar show where we talk about awards chances, Creed 3, does it have any real shot? Like I mentioned before, I think Michael B. Jordan could be in the best, uh, debut or first time director category in a few various awards shows, but I think that's about all this goes to. 
Yeah, I, he could be nominated at the DGA, but um, I don't know, man. I, I don't think that this will really have any mark on the awards landscape next year. The biggest mark it will have is Jonathan Majors is going to have a year, mm-hmm. right? I, and I think that the fact that he was in this and he was in Ant-Man and he chewed the scenery in both of these and outacted everyone, I think that's going to make a very good case for him getting a nomination when Magazine Dreams drops later this year. People are going to look back and go, wow, he really did that this year. He really did that. I would agree. I think for just like personal awards, I this is going to be in my sound for probably a good while. I thought the sound design was very special, especially in those boxing sequences, but for actual award chances, definitely uh, not. Yeah, it's not happening, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about it, and that doesn't mean we can't still enjoy it. Um, but, you know, it, this isn't going to be like Creed 1, which had Sylvester Stallone giving a, a career best performance. Uh, there's none of that here. So it's really, it's just an entertaining boxing movie that we can both appreciate. We have something really cool that we're switching up this week. And we've been doing drafts here on the show, but this time we're doing a bracket. You know, it's March and it's time for some March Madness. But as Matt just said, this is a show where we turn movies into sports and sports is something we don't talk about. So we're just doing that. Instead of being basketball teams, we have all filmed in this bracket. We have Oscar nominees, we have stuff got snubbed, and we also have some really big movies as well. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything here. And if you don't follow, because we don't talk about sports here, if you don't follow March Madness, that's okay. I don't follow March Madness either, but I love me a good bracket. So what we're doing here, we've got tons and tons of movies and in the description of this YouTube video right here, we have a prediction form. So you can fill out that prediction form. Please do put all of your predictions in for what you think each round is going to turn out as, all the way to the winner. Submit your predictions, and the winner, the person who gets closest to the actual outcome of this tournament, will be getting the poster of their choice out of all of the films that we have listed here, you can choose any of these, and we will send you a poster of that movie if you win this tournament. So please, get in there, lock in your picks, submit them. You have one week from now. Uh, so until the end of, uh, I think it's going to be March 19th that we're going to close it down. I think it's going to be around March like 17th that we're going to close this poll down. So... Get your predictions in before March 17th, uh, and if you get them in, then you might just get a prize. So get those going. So for this bracket itself, essentially every film that got an Oscar nomination, they're the automatic bid. So using the sports analogies here, like the Duke winning the ACC or a school winning the Pac-12, they get the automatic bids. And the top I 10 I have no sleeves, idea what that means, Dylan. I'm hey, sorry. I don't know what that means. We don't like, talk about sports we here, We don't right? talk about sports here. Uh, but for the people who do get it, that's, that's kind of how this works. The top 10 seeds are all the Best Picture nominees. So, like, Everything Everywhere is our number one overall seed because it seems like it's going to win Best Picture. Triangle of Sadness is the number 10 seed because it's the least likely. After that, the next seeds in order would be the Above the Line nominees. So stuff like The Whale, like Living like Glass Onion, stuff that fit in those acting or screenplay categories, fill up those next bunches. And then after that was a free-for-all for all the international nominees, the documentaries, the animated movies, then like stuff like cinematography and 
editing and sound and visual effects, that's stuff that we're not already mentioned from before. At that point, we had about 30 or so movies, so I opened it up to people on Reddit in the Oscar forums as well as our Discord asking, hey, what movies would you like to see get in? Some snubs to be our at-large bids. Those movies include stuff like Nope, The Woman King, Decision to Leave, and our rightful documentary feature winner, Jackass Forever. So we have, we have a whole list of movies for a total of 68. So I'm going to hand it back over to Matt to talk about this bracket just a little bit more. Okay, so... I love this type of thing. I love the matchups. I love seeing where everything's going. Now, I'm just going to say right off the bat, we all know everything everywhere all at once is going to win the entire thing, right? We Most know likely. that's going to happen. But the fun part about this is not just figuring out what's going to be the final winner. It's figuring out what's going to win every step along the way, right? There are some tough, tough matchups open up that prediction form right now. You'll see some crazy matchups even in the first round, right? We've got RRR up against Decision to Leave right away. That is a crazy, crazy matchup. Uh, and that's one that I feel like could go either way. And I am so curious where it's going to go. Then there's some other ones that just get me so excited to see where they go. Uh, living versus The Menu. That's one that I feel like could go either way, and I have no idea where it's going to go. Uh, or Pinocchio versus Till. I, I think it's going to go Pinocchio, but you know what? There are a lot of Till fans out there that could really, really push that above. Uh, but there are so many matchups here that get me so, so excited to see what goes on. I think the biggest wild card that I have questions about is Puss in Boots The Last Wish. How far... Is Puss in Boots The Last Wish going to go? Because people fucking love that movie. It, it has a pretty a pretty good outlook, at least. I will mention I made this bracket. Nothing here was specifically set up to go against each other. Like I mentioned before, I ranked them preemptively like that. So like the top 10 best pictures, everything like that. For example, The Batman and Nope are two of my favorite movies of the year. They're squaring up in the first round. But for that Puss in Boots angle... Round one, it gets Tell Like a Woman. That seems like a pretty easy win. And then it's going to have to face Avatar The Way of Water. If it can make it past Avatar, it could make it all the way to the Elite Eight. Because the rest of its little bracket is the Triangle of Sadness, the Sun, Bardo, and the Good Nurse. So the winner of Avatar and Puss in Boots looks like it has a pretty easy path. Just that's a incredible round two matchup. Before we dive into the round of 64, I want to give some love to some other movies. So we do have a play and round. And most of these movies are stuff that you would never think of when it comes to the Oscars. It was just some extra movies I want to show some love to. I got some shout outs in our Reddit posts that we did for like what movies would you want to see. So our initial round or play in games essentially are Pearl versus X, Jackass Forever versus Bros, Barbarian versus The Northman, and Minions Rise of Gru versus Wendell and Wild, which I think these are all pretty neck and neck, and I could see them go either way. Yeah, let, well, you can vote for these right in our description. Yeah, you can vote for right these right now. now. We've got our Google form there. It's right below the predictions form, so go and vote for these play-in categories right now, these wildcard picks. Uh, so for the wildcard picks, let's talk our picks for each of these. Let's start off with play-in round one. This is Pearl versus X. I'm going Pearl here. I am. I know you're going to go with X because you don't like Pearl. But personally, I, I think that what Ty West and Mia Goth did with both of these movies is in X, they went with that Texas Chainsaw Massacre style kind of slasher movie. And with Pearl, it's much more of uh, like 
atmospheric horror, I guess. It's barely a horror. It's just about the performance. Uh, and it's got some horror aspects to it. But I like that kind of Wizard of Oz feel that it has. Uh, so Pearl, for me, is the clear winner here. I mean, I like X more, but the internet clearly loves Pearl more. So I'm pushing Pearl through for my predictions. Am I like When I vote for myself, I'm going to vote for X. But predicting-wise, I'm going Pearl. And that's also how I feel in the second matchup. I may prefer jackass forever but i don't know many people who love that movie the way they love bros which bros is a great movie as well so i have bros but no one saw jackass bros. forever i have jackass forever beating bros uh, i'm personally going to be voting for bros but i guess the the issue with bros is that it went so underseen people didn't mm -hmm. go see it and they're still not seeing it it's not on any streaming platforms you know maybe if it had hit netflix by this point it would be huge but it hasn't it's just okay. a, a digital rental that it doesn't seem like anyone has really gone for Billy Eichner. Totally. He shot his own movie in the foot by, by pushing the aspect of it being, Oh, if you see this movie, you're virtuous. Cause it's the first movie of its kind. It's not the first movie of its kind. It's just a great fucking rom-com. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there have been, there was other gay rom-coms this year alone. There was fire Island this year. No one cared about what Billy Eichner was saying about bros he didn't sell that it was a funny movie and so people didn't see it so i don't know, you know personally my pick between this and jackass forever is i am gonna vote for bros but i think jackass forever is gonna win you make a great point i'm switching my prediction over jackass forever next matchup though i think is our most tight of this first round we have two horror movies that do it in a little bit of a different style because you could say barbarian's a horror movie you could also say it's a comedy the northman you could say it's a horror movie you could also say it's a thriller I don't know what to do here because I know there's a lot of people online who love The Northman, but I also think that it may be a vocal minority because it did not do well at the box office, just like you mentioned for Bros. Well, Barbarian did very well, and it had great word of mouth. So I think I'm going Barbarian here in round one, but I could easily see Northman upset with the, the popular vote. Yeah, I think that... I mean, my, my vote here is going to be Barbarian easily. I think it's one of the best horror movies of the year. But you're right that there is a huge online fan base for the Northmen. So I'm going to say I think the Northmen will win, but Barbarian is my pick. And our last matchup of this playing around is kind of a funny one. These are two movies that people thought maybe could get nominated for Best Animated Feature, but obviously did not make the final cut. We have Wendell and Wild and Minions Rise of Guru. I think this would be the biggest blowout of round one, and I could see Minions take this with like 80-plus percent of the vote. Yeah, I guess... People will vote for Minions because of the meme. It's mm -hmm. not It's not going to win based on the movie, but no one saw Wendell and Wild, uh, and Minions is a meme. So people will vote Minions, I think. I mean, I haven't seen Minions, so I'm, I'm going to have to abstain from this round. Well, that was our predictions here for the play-in round. We are going to do our predictions on each round each week, so make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel because you don't want to miss up on our updates every week as well as missing your opportunity to vote because obviously we're going to be posting on Reddit, posting on Discord, posting on TikTok, but you, you want to be one of the first people to vote because you don't want to miss your chance to have your voice heard. Matt, do you have any last things you want to mention here? No, I'm just excited to get into this. We're going to be doing this up until the middle of April. So it's not even March madness. It's kind of like middle of April madness, I guess. Hey, we're know, starting man. in March. The NCAA tournament kind of does the same thing. They start off in March and then the championship game is in early April. So we're kind of copying that. But as I know, we don't talk sports here on this show. But as mentioned before, 
make sure to check out the description right now because the voting is open for these playing games as well as the predictions option because who doesn't want a free poster i mean i have a weekend one up here but i do have an avatar one right over there so if you want a way of water you want an everything everywhere you want a puss in boots whatever it is you get the best prediction accuracy you're gonna win it yeah you gotta beat us though you gotta beat us in this game you do, and I promise there's there's no tomfoolery or anything like that. Once predictions are locked, everyone's predictions will be there available to be seen ahead of time, and the results will be posted publicly at the end of each week so you can see how close each matchup was. Because as mentioned before, when we get to the round of 64, RRR versus Decision to Leave, the Batman versus Nope, those could be 51-49 percentages matchups, so I'm really excited. I am too. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for subscribing. And thank you for voting. Go and fucking vote, man. Yes, Do yes, it yes. right now. Do it. Please. Vote. 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 Thank you for tuning to episode 39 of Fantasy Football. We went over a lot today. We did our final Oscar predictions. Then we dove into our Creed 3 review and closed out with a new game that we're doing. We're taking a break on the drafts for a little bit, but we are doing the 2023 Oscar Madness bracket. So that's definitely something, if you're out there listening and want to play along, join the Discord. There would be more information there, as well as just fill out your bracket. The worst case it is, you take 20 minutes out of your time, and you could win something out of it. But uh, Matt, how, how are you feeling with everything? I mean, our personal awards come up next week, and I'm really looking forward to those. This has been such a great season doing this show. This is our first season doing the show. We're going to keep doing it after this, but it's been really great going through this year, seeing all the ups and downs, the twists and turns that this season of awards has taken. Um, and, you know, next week, yes, we're going to be talking about our personal awards, as well as discussing the actual outcome of the Oscars. But, man, I, I'm just excited. This is... We're coming up to our Super Bowl. This is the best day of the year on Sunday, uh, and I just cannot wait to, uh, to check that out. Me as well. But until next time, I mean, you, you definitely want to tune in. My name is Dill. My name is Matt, and this is Fantasy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at FFilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show, and come back next week.